Hi, I'm Matthew from Frontier Ruckus, and you're listening to KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise, community radio for Boise and beyond. Hey there, you're listening to The Big Tent. I am your host, Jen Schneider, and I'm here with my co-host, Justin Vaughn, and our special guest today, my friend, Brooke Burton. Thank you so much for coming. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's see, what should I say about you? You are a local artist and photographer. Thank you. Always put artist before photographer. Yeah, how come? Well, because um, photography can be divided into a couple groups. There's like commercial photography, and then there's a lot of artists who work with photography. And for some reason, we get really stuck up about being called an artist and not a photographer. Okay, good. Well, so this is Brooke. She's an artist and a photographer. She got her MFA from Boise State University. When was that? 2008. In 2008. And she's our guest today on The Big Tent on uh, Radio Boise 89.9 FM. So, Brooke, why don't we start by talking a little bit about your blog? What's it called? Okay, so it's not officially my blog, but it is a blog I write for and I do photography for, and it's called Creators, Makers, Doers, and it is ran by the Arts and History Department of the City. Did you know we had an arts and history department? I was just going to say, I bet a lot of people did not know that we had okay, an arts so and history department. It's like a two-for-one, arts and history crammed together, and they are the tiniest office in City Hall. And ter- I don't mean physically, like the smallest department. In terms of people? Yes. Okay. And funding. And probably funding. <laughs> yes. Okay, great. And so uh, the city approached you to start this blog, or no, was it me, already going? It was already going. So okay. Carl LeClaire, who is right now the public arts manager in the art department had when he was the assistant to then manager of the public arts Karen Bubb he had started this his own project it was his own personal project that he was inspired to do after a blog or actually a whole website called Fund von Freunden out of Europe which means friends of friends basically it's kind of a lifestyle blog or you know you've seen the word like lifestyle porn but it's like for people in creative industries and design and they would interview friends of friends and then take gorgeous photos of their workspace their life space so super image rich image rich get a chance to see how the creative class lives exactly okay lives and works so he was inspired by that and said hey what if we did this and he started it and he started interviewing artists and taking photos of their studios which is pretty oh i love it love yes it's something you'd love to see and then he slowly ran out of time to do that because that was an not paid, not it was extra on top of his nine to five with the city. And so when he was promoted to the uh, public arts manager, they decided to take what money they had from advert for advertising allocated to do advertising, which I think they did in print somewhere. And they decided to put it toward hiring someone to do the blog and that that was how they were going to promote any artist or organization that they had given grant money to, mm-hmm. purchased artwork for them, or artists who have um, completed public works for the city. And so if someone goes to creators, makers, makers doers, uh, can you give us a sense of what they'll see? Yes, when they you're going to see um, something kind of like this as if it were written on paper. Mm-hmm. I go and I interview someone that is an individual artist, like, you know, Rachel Tainalock, a painter that lives um, in Boise is a perfect example. I went and interviewed her, shot her whole studio, some of her house, and then, of course, I go through the interview and I heavily edit it because sometimes if you just print out what 
conversations like this, they don't look as good on paper or on the screen. But then So you polish it up a little bit? Totally polish it up, and I cut out. And he, people tend to talk in circles, so I cut out the, most of the circle, and I get them from the beginning to their destination that they were working towards. But then I also interview organizations because there's... Um, like staples in the creative community here, like Ballet Idaho and the Shakespeare Festival that receive money from the city. So it's a range of that. And then sometimes I promote the art department's own projects like the Castle House. So, so which we'll talk James about in Castle. our third segment today. Um, so does the city tell the city tells you who to, you're going to talk well, to? I can choose anyone I want as long as they have received that funding from the city or an award. For instance, they have a mayor's awards in the arts. It's kind of like a red carpet event for mm. creative people in Boise. If you've done a lot of work, the city you can make nominations. Anyone can nominate, and then awards are given out by the mayor. That's so cool. So I have a I have a pool from which to choose, which is a great motivator if you're an artist or an organization to apply for some grants through the city or apply for artwork so that we can help promote you because it's two-way street. We get people's names out there. We get Also, this is what I'm really proud of. The content we put up there is unique. You're not going to find those photos anywhere else. And generally, the questions I ask are not going to be the standard things you might see in a different magazine interview. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you think of an example of a question that you've asked that is sort of unusual? Or Yeah, I ask people like what their pet peeves are and what kinds of things they got in trouble for as they were a kid, <laughs> as a child. And here's my new one is what is this is what I want to ask both of you. What is something you do that you probably shouldn't? Oh, Lord. I'll give you an example. I have a really bad habit. I like to drive without my seatbelt on for short distances. <laughs> oh, I, if I I'm in my horrible. car, I never wear my seatbelt. I hate, I feel oppressed. In my truck, I have to because it beeps. But, okay. yeah. Isn't it freeing, though? It is freeing. Oh, my God. In fact, this morning, as I was leaving my house, I put my seatbelt on, and as I'm above the cliff, I was like, what am I doing? I don't have to wear the seatbelt in this And vehicle. then you're just like, freedom. I took it off. I live in Boise County for a reason. Wow. All right, Jen, what do you do that you probably shouldn't? I mean, this is creating a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance for me because I'm such a rule follower. I can see this happening in your face. Jen is very, very good. Yeah. No, I know that I do things bad. I just think that I block them out. No one said bad. No, there was no judgment here. There was no no good versus evil. I am putting the judgment on. That's the problem. It was just things maybe you shouldn't. Mm. Oh, well... Uh, this is not that big of a deal. It's not that interesting, but I do have dessert after every meal. Oh, yeah. Like, including breakfast. <laughs> every meal. Oh, literally every meal. Yeah. <laughs> what do you eat in the morning? After I breakfast? mean, it's usually just chocolate after breakfast, <laughs> but I, I, like, I'll be on my way out the door and I'll be, I'll put my backpack down and be like, I forgot my chocolate. Wow. <laughs> and I'll go back and put it in my mouth and then wow. leave the house. I had no idea. And lunch is usually cookie. And then for dinner, it depends on what kind of a day I've had, but it, it's anywhere from like an ice cream sundae to just another cookie. I did not know But my breakfast. grandpa's done that. My dad, it's a Davies really? family tradition. I didn't know dessert was allowed after breakfast. It's, it's not just allowed, it's encouraged. Wow. But I, exactly, like, so now I feel a little better. I'm not such a goody goody two shoes, or I am the ultimate <laughs> goody goody two shoes. Right. Have you ever had anybody resist answering one of your questions? So that's a really good question, Jen. And I don't think I've seen them straight up resist, but they definitely come into an interview with expectations that 
I'm going to talk about their artwork only. And that it's going to be this very professional voice, which one thing they have told me, the city, that they really appreciate is that my writing voice and the way the interviews are is so non um what's the word like institutional Mm -hmm. and so people come in thinking it's going to be this institutional type thing and i like to come at it from a much more humanistic standpoint so they might often i'll see them work through it verbally like well they'll hear the question and say well do you mean in terms of art or just anything and i'll say anything and then they'll have to talk themselves through to meet me where i'm at and so resisting no but that definitely takes them a little time one thing I'm afraid of is that I've been doing this for a year and I'm afraid that people are, who are potentially going to be interviewed are now reading my interviews and seeing how I come at people human to human and it probably will scare some people off because they're more comfortable in the professional realm. All right, well, I want to talk more about that when we come back in the next segment, maybe hear a little bit about some of the specific artists that you've talked to for the blog. Um, So I hope that you will uh, join us after this break. You're listening to Radio Boise and the Big Tent. We got a hot blast of airwaves coming down the tubes just for you guys today. This is Mac DeMarco. Thank you so much for tuning in. You've reached the best radio station under the Lord's sun. Bless you. And we are back. I'm Justin Vaughn. I'm here with Jen Schneider. We are co-hosts of The Big Tent. Corey Cook could not be with us today. Uh, but we are fortunate enough to have Brooke Burton from the City of Boise's Arts, Arts and History Department uh, with us. Brooke uh, conducts a, a blog for the city. and um, You conduct been, a blog. I'm conducting it. So yes. You're a blog conductress. <laughs> um, yes. That's on your business card. Uh, the... Yeah, and so we've been talking about how Brooke approaches her blog, We've been ta- um, how she approaches interviews, and so I thought we could talk a little bit about some of the specific interviews that you've done and kind of what, you know, what you've learned from people, what, what your readers have learned about some of yeah. the artists that make up our community. You know what's really exciting is interviewing all these people who create things, they make things, and they're doing things to share with um, other people, with an audience or a viewer or a listener. Sometimes it's musicians. And the really cool thing that I have found is common throughout is that they all want to make something that really connects emotionally with their audience and something that rings true and something that is um, authentic. And so that's made me really happy just to see that common thread. But there's um, a really exciting um, performance group coming up. Their name is Migration Theory. Jen and I have tickets and they have a a show called Small Matters coming up and that is at the end of May and they're taking theater out of the physical theater and they're walking us around the city and it's kind of a surprise. You don't know what you're going to get. Basically, I bought my tickets and I got an email that said meet us at the corner of, I want to say 9th and Idaho at the sign that says you are here. So the idea is that they're just going to disrupt some of our assumptions about what theater is, I think. Yes, and they're also going to try to break down some of the barriers of when you go and sit in your cushy theater seat, you automatically are detached in that way. And so I think there's something about being present in the community in which you live and experiencing a story play out, a narrative. I don't want to say story, but it's a narrative playing out 
in that atmosphere. So that's an example of and a group. Will you write about that after the performance? Or not, for no, the, not for the blog, no. Oh, okay. um, but I will be thinking about it, and I think we're going to have to talk about it after we get We're going to have some it. processing that we need to do afterwards. I'm excited. Yeah, it'll I'm be really good. excited. But an individual that I loved interviewing and is someone that you may not think of as a creator, maker, do- doer, is Rocky Johnson, who performs at Hump and Hannah's Thursday through Saturday. She is like quintessential Boise nightlife and has been for years. Jen, you know who I'm talking about. Well, I've heard about her since I came back to okay. Boise. Um, and I feel like Burke and I are in a book club, and I feel like every book club, Rocky Johnson comes up. I've never actually seen her myself, so okay. maybe we'll have to go out and do it. We need to go out and do that. but Maybe post-migration theory. I know. It might help us process. Actually, yeah. post ampre. There may be some pre-gaming. Oh. I don't know. Wow. Just remember, it's going to be hot, and you sh- should be hydrated. We should hydrate. Yeah, with water. Okay. Yeah. I could do that, and maybe some Gatorade and yeah. some other things. That's all yeah. pre-gaming. I mean, this makes us sound so cool, but both Brooke and I have been known to not show up to things because they're happening after 8 p.m. at night. <laughs> and I'm, we're in bed already. <laughs> like, so, so in bed. Just anyway, tell us about from a reclining <laughs> position. <laughs> yeah, not that we're old ladies. Uh, tell us about Rocky Johnson. I want to tell you about Rocky Johnson. So the reason she qualified from my pool of potential interviewers was she received a, an award for the mayor for supporting the arts. And you know, if you're not tracking her constantly, which probably no one is, you may not realize that she is continually raising funds for. Art, um, supporting the arts and supporting all kinds of causes, humanistic causes, veterans, um, all, all kinds of things. And she has told me that that's one of the benefits of being in a public position like that. Is she has continual opportunity to do things for the greater good. A lot of fundraise, fundraising happening at Hannah's. They'll do a night where every entry goes towards this cause. So what happens, so somebody, let's say, God forbid, somebody's never been to Hump and Hannah's and they walk in the door and it's a Rocky Johnson night. Yeah. What are they going to see? You are going to see Rocky Johnson in her full um, rock and roll persona costuming and she's performing live hits like um, Lady Gaga. and So she's doing covers. She's doing covers and she also is interacting directly with the audience. Mm-hmm. She brings a lot of people up on stage. She's sharing it and she is very positive. Very positive energy. And then she also this is for you because you mentioned we <laughs> might have to air this after this midnight. This is for Justin. Okay. Uh, she also Okay, it's for both of you. Oh, she also great. No, 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 it's for me. Has, Jen. Uh, Jesus. been known to give out um, items from the over 21 shops. Oh. To well put. That was diplomatic. Women, young women, and young men. So prizes, if you will. Mm-hmm. She at so a certain it's a point, sex positive event. Can we say that? We can yeah, say that. Yeah. Exactly. It is a yeah. sex. She doesn't has told me also that she doesn't want sex to be something that is like we were talking about. There's no judgment on that. It's just a positive experience. Mm-hmm. So what I loved about the interview was that. As my usual style, we skipped most of the professional things and dove right into personal. And she told me some things from her life story that were so deeply touching and scary and uh, beautiful that Mm. her story will stick with me forever. And so if you have a chance to read through that, that's 
something I definitely recommend. So I love that because I think it would be easy to go to that show and sort of chalk it up as kitsch yes. and not like take that human being seriously. Exactly. But you're saying that through the interview process, you had a connection. I have her. a whole new appreciation for who she is and that she purposefully meditates every day in order, in part, to bring love and put it out to everyone that she reaches through her performances. How awesome is that? That's awesome. Yeah. So I wonder if you could talk just in the few minutes we have remaining in this segment a little bit about uh, I don't think I don't know if I'm going to say his last name right. Is it James Mossman? Most? Oh, Carrie Mosman Carrie. or James Castle? Sorry, Carrie Mosman. So the one in Atlanta. Yes. That? So that was one of my favorite um, blog posts that you've done, and the partly just because he was so interesting, and I'm sorry for not remembering his name, um, but also the images are so amazing. So can you talk a little bit about the process of putting that entry together? I can. So Carrie Mosman is a artist that works with ceramics, and he also teaches at Fort Boise. Yeah. So if you've ever sent your kids to a clay class, they may not have taken one from Carrie. I think he teaches adult, but he comes in all summer no winter long and he works in the studio creating these gorgeous ginormous vessels by coil building and so carrie has a few pieces that were purchased by the city he also did a couple of the um murals in the alleys i think the one with the um giant trout uh i can't think of what it's called so public art and Carrie is a character, and he's a big-time collector, and he, for instance, does, um, doesn't have a television, doesn't have a telephone, but on Monday nights, you'll find him at Fort Boise so he can watch the Antiques Roadshow. Yes. That's so, <laughs> so great. He makes these giant vessels, and that's what he makes his living from, making art, and then he lives half the year up in Atlanta, Idaho, which is three, 30 miles on a dirt road east of Idaho City which if you come back from there and you take a wrong turn, you will come back a dirt road the whole way, which I learned the, <laughs> the hard, hard way, way. <laughs> last time. But in Atlanta, he has a n number of cabins in which he has also filled with beautiful collections of objects. And he has a great sense of humor, and he's very authentic when you speak to him. I mean, those images, the, your, obviously your photographs are also art and in and of themselves but I look at the way those you know everything's arranged in those photographs was that his doing or yes yeah I so, mean they're they're gorgeous on I the blog all day I'm generally documenting I might um take a little few clutter out but I'm not heavily staging anything yeah. uh so speaking of the blog we've mentioned it we've mentioned its title creators makers and doers um, how would people find it if they wanted so to check it out? You could just Google Boise City Arts and History Department, mm -hmm. and then you'd go. They have an awesome webpage, by the way. And then they have these giant photos where you can click that there are the links. Because for people like me who skim words and don't like to read as much, and you just want to click on a picture, you click on it there. Cool. So that's how you would get to it. Yeah, there's a bunch of good stuff there. They have information about the city's collections, the grant programs, the Fettuccine Forum series. Uh, so. Definitely check it out um, to, to find the Creators, Makers, and Doers blog, but also some of the other really interesting cultural things that um, the city of Boise is up to. 
Uh, we're going to take another quick break, and we'll be back. We'll talk about one of the really interesting things that the city's been doing, innovative and, and kind of unprecedented for us here in Boise, and that's um, efforts surrounding the uh, preservation of the James Castle House. Uh, so stick with us, and uh, we will be back in a few moments. You're listening to Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. Listener-supported radio for Boise and beyond. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Big Tent on Radio Boise 89.9 FM. Uh, I'm Jen Schneider, and I'm here with my co-host Justin Vaughn. Corey Cook will be back with us soon. And we're talking today with Brooke Burton, my friend, and also a blogger for the uh, City of Boise Arts and History Department and an amazing artist and photographer in her own right. So uh, we're going to spend this third segment talking a little bit about um, some of the big art news here in the city, and that is the opening of the James Castle House. So, Brooke, for folks who are not following the arts in Boise, can you tell us a little bit about who James Castle was? I sure can, especially if you um, are not familiar with his story. It's a pretty interesting one. James Castle was um, grew up in rural, rural areas of Idaho, and he, I believe he was born deaf. And his sister was also became deaf later um, from a childhood disease, and they were sent off to a school for deaf and blind where James was deemed incorrigible, and he never learned to formally speak. And he also avoided um, doing any kind of traditional work at all costs, and he spent all of his time um, drawing and making his own kind of art. And so he's what we would call an outsider artist because he's someone who operated not only outside the artistic community, you know, no formal education, no ties with artistic community, but also an outsider in terms of um, just social outsider because he didn't go to regular school. He lived with his sister on this property in uh, Northwest Boise, which is where the James Castle House is located. So he spent a whole lifetime doing what many formal artists aspire to do, which is making art from dawn till dusk and finally tuning his craft and finding his own voice and crafting things in unusual ways that are not the kinds you would learn in school. What has become pretty cool is his he is passed away, but um, his work, I guess you would call it, was discovered by some people in academia when he was a late, older adult. And he had his first like official exhibition at the Boise Art Museum. And from there, it kind of took off. And he started selling work, which his sister used the money to purchase his own trailer because he lived in the home with her and her family. And then he, she, they purchased like a living trailer that they put on the property and he got his own space. He was really excited about. And then she also used some of that early money to pay for his burial when the time came. However, at this point, his work is so highly collectible. It goes for thousands of thousands of dollars. In a way, you would say he is the most successful artist to come out of Idaho. The Smithsonian, I believe, owns between three and five of his works, and he can be found in collections all around the world. And so if I haven't seen James Castle's art, what can you help me visualize what that yeah, looks like? Yeah, I can. So he also rejected traditional art-making materials, even after he was his artwork was discovered and people brought him um, professional art-making materials. He preferred soot a lot of times that he would mix with his own saliva to make drawings and he would draw the world around him he would imitate books that's and text that was one interesting thing i mentioned that he never learned to formally use the english english language he also never learned to read or write but he constantly recreated 
text and books with his own sort of hieroglyphs that were inspired by what he saw as the English language. And then late, as he, later, he also started to abstract things. And that's why I meant he was developing his own visual language because he would take forms and abstract them further and further and further till they're just barest requirements. Does that make sense? Yeah. Here's another key thing. Mostly you'll find his artworks were on other materials like the backs of mail, catalogs, packaging, food boxes. He'd tear a cereal box apart and use the inside cardboard. So no, you know, graphite on paper. It was soot on cardboard. Uh, it makes me wonder how much of that was intentional and how much of it was sort of a result of the volume of art that he was making. Like if he's making art all day, every day, imagine you're using the materials you have around you. Well, and it started as a child when he was actually forbidden to use, to the school for the blind and deaf had recommended they take away all art materials in order to try to force him to conform to normal requirements for being part of a family and being part of a community, which is, you know, you go out and you do your fair share of work. So they withheld the art supplies and he just probably dug in the trash and found his own and that just stuck, right? Because you always have a supply of cast off papers. Mm -hmm. So that was readily available. So tell us a little bit about the James Castle House. This is a, a big deal. It for is the a city. big deal. It yeah. is their inaugural cultural site. So it's a physical site with um, a store you can visit, an exhibition. It has an artist residency in it. So it's a physical space that um, we don't have an example of in the city yet. And it's a cultural site important to Boise. And their next one, by the way, is going to be west of downtown. And it's called the Irma Heyman House after... Um, I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to let you have to find out as that information comes out, but that'll be their second one. So they bought this house knowing it was James Castle House before anyone else decided to purchase it. And, you know, it was two times sold since the family had lived there, but it's where he lived. And there is across the nation places you can visit that were an artist's home and studio space that have been turned into a visitor center and it's culturally enriching. So um, before we go today, I think it would be interesting to hear from you as an artist yourself about what this symbolizes for you, this investment that the city has made in purchasing an artist's home. I, they've refurbished it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, a place people can visit and appreciate James Castle right. and his art. They've, so what does, it, what does it mean for you that the city has made this It investment? means that they're valuing the people that came from Boise and have made significant um, contributions to arts and culture. And it means they're placing a high value on that. And they're saying, look, this is important. This is something to be appreciated. This is something we need to um, remember. It seems like kind of the perfect um, project that blends the, the twin missions of the Department of Arts and History. Oh, right? exactly. A little bit of both. But mm-hmm. yeah, especially I think they pointed out that we have a historical society of Idaho and also the Idaho Historical Museum and their Ida- archives, which is federal. And that is responsible for the state history. But um, Terry Shoresman, the director of Arts and History Department, said, who is it that's paying attention just to Boise? Who is preserving um, our cultural history? And that's what they want to do. And so people can go visit the James Castle House? Oh, my gosh. You can go visit, and you need to shop. They have the, <laughs> it's called the General Store, and they have curated uh, um, 
I guess you'd call them products or inventory from all over different artisans and they have the coolest stuff in their gen i i'm saying shopping and i'm looking at you yeah i mean i like shopping she likes buying Jeez. things 11 a.m to 6 really p.m capitalist <laughs> yeah you can Thursday schedule a tour you can see uh oh well i is this like what do you call it when you um spoiler alert that. so one of the things <laughs> when they took the house down to its bare bones james was known for hiding his artwork or at one point up in Garden Valley, they used a bunch of his paper works on paper as insulation in the, uh-huh. in between the walls. So they get this house, they take it down to the studs, and they found like I'm gonna say like eight pieces oh, of wow. artwork that are now worth probably five to eight thousand dollars a piece. That's now part of their permanent collection. How awesome is that? That's so awesome. Treasure hunting. I have to say I was pleasantly surprised. My children came home from the opening and they used charcoal briquettes to make drawings. And then my son hid some. Like oh, I saw him, he slid one behind a picture frame in the kitchen and I could huh. just see it. I'm like, that is so cute. That is cool. Well, Brooke, thanks so much for being here today on The Big Tent. And um, thanks to all of you for tuning in and listening. Yeah, this is The go, Big Tent. On go check out the blog. 89.9 Radio Boise.